Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to New Books in Philosophy, a channel on the New Books Network. I'm Malcolm Keating, and today we'll be talking to Stephen Phillips, translator of Gungesh's Tutvachintamini, or Jewel of Reflection on the Truth About Epistemology, published in 2020 by Bloomsbury Academic Press. Welcome to New Books in Philosophy, Stephen. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Your your book, which has just come out, is a three-volume, so books rather, uh, English translation of what's really a masterpiece of Sanskrit language philosophy. And if I'm not mistaken, it's never been translated before in its entirety, and certainly not in English. Uh, so this is a work by a 14th century philosopher, Gungesha. And he lived in Northeast India, and we'll talk about his um, biography in a minute. So he wrote on epistemology, metaphysics, language, and logic, a range of things. Normally, what I would do is I ask the author to tell me their book's thesis in a nutshell, but I'm talking to you and not Gungesha, so uh, let me ask you how you would succinctly, if, if at all possible, give a nutshell of what is Gungesha arguing for in his Tattva Chintamani. Uh, well, first of all, uh, there is much ellipsis in uh, Gungesha and in philosophic writing in Sanskrit across the board, including Gangesha's title, Tatochintamani. Partly, titles are meant to be poetic, and Tatochintamani has uh, double entendre, the double meaning of reflection on the truth. That's what Tatwa means. But also, a Chintamani is a wish-fulfilling jewel. So it's reflection on the truth. And the word that's elided is pramana tattva chintamani. So it's, 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 it's the truth about what? The tr- it's, it's the truth about the pramana. So, and actually the, the elided word in the title pramana gets emphasis, even though it's not there. And the the book is arranged around four pramana, and pramana are knowledge sources. The, the four knowledge sources of perception, inference, analogy, and testimony. Now, analogy is not so familiar to us just as uh, philosophers or uh, human beings, uh, whereas uh, we all uh, get by every day with perception and inference and testimony. So, so I, I don't really want to talk a lot about analogy from the get-go, uh, but uh, emphasize, rather, that there are these three very, uh, what shall we say, uh, commonly supposed sources of knowledge, perception, inference, and testimony, learning something new from something told to us by a reliable source, or, uh, that, um, uh, that working out exactly how these three sources of knowledge work, and along with 
in general, what is knowledge? Um, how do we certify that we know something or other? Uh, and uh, various other topics having to do with the specific knowledge sources. Uh, the book is divided in Sanskrit into not into three volumes, but into four. One for each of the pramana, one for each of the knowledge sources. <laughs> it's, uh, I'm not so sure that Gangesha is himself committed to analogy uh, as a knowledge source because it gets very uh, short. Uh, treatment. Uh, but Gangesha is, uh, it's important to, to know from the get-go that he's a member of, the, of a long-running school of philosophy known as Nyaya. And, and, and Nyaya, Nyaya, he's in the 14th century. Nyaya gets going really early, uh, probably uh, more than 1,400 years before him. There's some, there's some dispute about the uh, the date of the earliest Nyaya text called the Nyaya Sutra, uh, but uh, you know maybe 100 BCE or 100 CE, uh, and and there's been a long tradition of development of Nyaya where uh, philosophers try to stay true to the core principles, core positions of Nyaya, but they also expand and elaborate and sometimes totally innovate. Gangesha is famous in, in classical circles as the originator of what's called New Nyaya, Navya Nyaya. But I've thought a lot about that topic, and, and some scholars think that his predecessor, Udayan, who lived a couple of centuries before he did, was really the great innovator of Navya Nyaya. But no, every every Nyaya philosopher, not Nyaya philosophers called them Nyayaka, every Nyayaka innovates to some extent and also continues the positions that have been inherited from predecessors. So. Um, so the, the the very distinction of Navya Nyaya is somewhat problematic, and, and some later some later Nyaya philosophers uh, count uh, Gangesha as part of old Nyaya Prajna Nyaya, uh, uh, and only Raghunath, uh, someone about two centuries later than Gangesha, as the real uh, uh, innovator of uh, what's called new Nyaya. So, so where exactly to place this innovation is uh, is is controversial. But one thing that you're doing in your your translation is giving uh, a, a new audience a chance to make some of these kinds of um, conclusions about what's going on philosophically in, in the text. What what do you characterize the goals of your translation as being? Then, who who are you hoping will read the book? Uh, what's the audience? And why do you think Gangesha's work was important to translate? You mentioned Udayana, the Vajraspati Mishra is another philosopher. There's a whole lot of untranslated works in Sanskrit. Why Gangesha? Uh, well, that that that's a tough question. It has to do with careerism. Uh, who 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 who, who uh, is uh, both a good philosopher and uh, so worthy to to work on and has not been worked on uh, so much that uh, uh, 
you know, I, I feel very privileged to have been trained as an analytic philosopher and as a Sanskritist because there were any number of works that I uh, could have worked on and have worked on that very few people who know analytic philosophy have have worked on. And so, you know, um, some some translations of very good philosophic works in Sanskrit um, get um, misrepresented in English by subtle errors concerning epistemic terms. Um, and one has to be very careful and also provide a background material uh, so that one doesn't make uh, a uh, terrible mistake such as uh, to say, as many Sanskrit translators have said, that there can be false knowledge. Now, an analytic philosopher says, you know, false knowledge. Okay, I can't understand that. So they put the book down. So, but that's, you know, mithyanyana in Sanskrit is really something like, you know, false belief or, you know, there's that the, the target is, is, is something that can be vertical or non-vertical. So it's not knowledge. <laughs> so one has to be careful in using the terminology in English that not only accurately renders the Sanskrit, but also does not, that ties into the terminology, particularly the technical terms that are commonly employed in analytic thought. Yeah. Yeah. And so back to, um, to Gungesha as a philosopher, then my, my question about why Gungesha isn't, is well, not I, meant to suggest I, that you shouldn't have uh, translated his work. It's just what's, what's great about him. Well, what's really great about him is, uh, I, I must say I was steered by his reputation. The founder, he was said, you know, in Sanskrit circles, he's often said to be the founder of Nunyaya. Uh, and there are many, many commentaries in Sanskrit written on his work, uh, on uh, single sentences that he has written, for example, the def definition of entailment of, or natural entailment or vyapti it has had tons of, of commentary and analysis in, in Sanskrit. Um, and and uh, so um, the tradition directed me to to uh, Gungesha, where I admittedly, um, some of the scholarly work, particularly by uh, some very good German scholars and Japanese scholars, would put, uh, as a matter of a world-class philosopher, would put perhaps among, among Nyayakas, Nyaya philosophers, would put Udayana a little higher. After all, Udayana uh, integrated an ontological system that grew up under the name Vaisheshika, or a kind of atomism, uh, with the epistemology that's in the Nyaya Sutra and the long-standing Nyaya tradition, and and, and all everybody after Udayana, including Gungesha, it has this uh, fusion of ontological categories uh, and uh, and epistemology. I that goes all the way back to the Nyaya Sutra itself. Uh, 
But but I must say, just just as a kind of insider point that that people probably will not appreciate, Diana of all the philosophers uh, that I have tried to read in Sanskrit, I find the most difficult because. Um, I don't know if you you yourself have tried to read Udayana, but it's highly elliptical, highly even more. I mean, Gangesha has very long, complex sentences, and and ellipsis is a common feature, but nothing like Udayana. Oh, mm. mm-hmm. really hard. Yep. Yeah, that's that's right. I, I looking at some of the translations on him, his work that I've tried to teach to students. It's a it's a real challenge. Um, so how let's let's go back to Gangesha then. How how did you get interested in in Gangesha? How did you how did you come across your well, radar first? Again, again, uh, being a, a, a professional philosopher and Sanskritist, uh, Gangesha was a natural choice. Uh, the, the the two um, best known and also most astute. Um, combination of philosopher and Sanskritist in the writing in English uh, and the generation before me were, were two, two uh, scholars, uh, one uh, Jayan Mohanty and the other uh, Bimal Matilal. Both of these fellows were uh, had as their uh, specialty Nyaya, and both uh, translated sections of the Tattva Chintami. The, a, whole, a whole, just one section about one sixteenth of the perception chapter. Remember, there are four chapters in the Tattva Chintamani, the jewel, of, we'll call it the jewel, jewel of reflection on the truth about epistemology, was translated in the Harvard Oriental series by Matilal, I think in 1968. Uh, Mohanty translated a uh, very important section on how we know that we know. Um, and, uh, and, but, you know, here, here two, uh, let's say maybe three sixteenths of the whole perception chapter have been translated by these very great scholars before me. So, uh, I, and, and other bits of that chapter have been translated piecemeal, maybe one or two other sections. Same with the inference chapter. Uh, about 20 sections, four or five, been translated here or there in journals. A whole book was devoted to the section on the inferential subject in the inference chapter. And, and there are only about 40 lines of Sanskrit. Uh, so, so, so scholarship up to the, this point of my work uh, had had really taken um, the Tattva Chintamani to be a series of, of journal articles. <laughs> and, uh, didn't really have that all together, but actually when you put it all together, uh, you see some larger themes. Uh, for example, um, the default acceptability of the beliefs embedded in fresh awareness. Uh, and then a second level, which is what we may call animal knowledge or animal awareness, uh, uh, whether that be to, so, so, so uptake 
fused with acceptance, with testimony. You're not not you know you just you. Somebody tells you something, you 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 automatically believe it. You don't. So so there's so this default goodness, coupled with defeasibility, and 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 when you look at the inference chapter in particular, you see, but also the perception chapter a little less with the the, uh, the testimony chapter, that the concern is how is what is presumptively knowledge certified or shown actually not to be knowledge, defeated. Uh, The whole last part of the inference chapter, which has not been talked about very much, is concerned with the concept of bodica. I mentioned the Sanskrit. There's a great English cognate, bodica, defeater, a blocker. It blocks uh, a blocker of knowledge. And sometimes you have standing defeaters, but sometimes, I don't know, uh, you say uh, everything uh, uh, that is earthen is is scratchable by iron. And uh, you have a lot of inductive evidence for that. But then diamonds are discovered. And so that that's a defeater of the of the the vyapti that permits uh, in, inference is entanglement relation that is much is much concerned with uh, in 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 the inference chapter. So by putting the chapters together, you can sort of see. I think this this is uh, a point that not not many people have really appreciated that the whole layout of the epistemology has to do with sort of presumptive. Uh, acceptability of the beliefs embedded in fresh news, whether that come from perception or inference or testimony, and then concern with uh, what uh, might undercut uh, that belief or certify. And we've moved, we've moved to a second level. Now, all philosophic discussions at a second level. So even though uh, we model even certification on the first level of animal knowledge, uh, so that we we look at sort of natural inferences and get our model for how to do inference in a formal way, when we come to philosophic issues, it's all... Nothing is automatic. Everything has to be argued for. And one of the great joys of reading Sanskrit philosophy, as you know, is unlike English, you think, you you know, we're told that graduate school or even undergraduate that the métier of philosophy is argument. And we learn the structures of argument. But I, I have encountered no work in any Western philosophy from the Greeks uh, through Kripke who have arguments so central to the way that a philosophic text uh, proceeds. Everything has to be supported. And so uh, the genre of philosophy is one where you're always looking for the better reasons. Mm-hmm. Let's yeah, let's talk about that for a second. So for for our listeners who may not know anything about Indian philosophy, the term inference, I think maybe we should spend a little bit of time unpacking what you mean by that in the context of pramanas, because that's a term that has some ambiguities. Yes, um, what's, uh, what's interesting? I, I, I should yeah. maybe use uh, inference star. I mean, I think of it, perception uh, testimony works better. There's also a problem with 
the word perception, which is ambiguous, but uh, whether between the process and the result. But but you're absolutely right. Uh, the word inference in English is uh, has much broader semantic range than the word anumana, which is a knowledge uh, taken as one of the uh, basic knowledge sources in uh, Gangesha and in Sanskrit philosophy uh, in general. Um, and and so so it's important. Also, a lot of the reasoning that goes on around an inference or around perception, concern with certification or defeating is called tarka. And, we, and it has to do with something like you know, the Socratic Alenkas, where you try to show an opponent's position uh, lands in contradiction or infinite regress uh, or, some, or it's, uh, it's, it lacks economy compared to some other position. All that reasoning, which really fills out the stuff of philosophic texts, that's not really called inference. We might call that inference in in in, in English uh, or inference to the best explanation. That's not what's going on in Sanskrit. Inference is a very uh, uh, tight form uh, where uh, there is an inferential subject. Uh, there is some property that is known to qualify the inferential subject. That property is known to stand in an entailment relationship with some other property. And so when you see the property F uh, as, or somehow, maybe by testimony, as qualifying some individual A, and you know from wide experience and also other testimony that everything that is an F is a G, then you automatically carry out the inference uh, that A is a G. Uh, so that that process is looked upon as uh, as 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 inference, and you know what uh, Westerners would look at. I don't know as. Uh, uh, deductive inference with uh, you know modus ponens or modus tollens or disjunctive so that gets built into the Sanskrit system. They're surely aware of this, but uh, this pattern, which has an inductive element, how you find out that every F is a G, a lot of focus on that uh, is uh, what is focused on as a uh, knowledge source. Mm-hmm. And so what you just mentioned a moment ago with the sort of automatic nature of inference, the anumana kind of inference here, that's what you're you're calling animal knowledge or what you've other places yeah, called unref- it, yeah. unreflective knowledge. Yeah, yeah. It's unreflective knowledge. And and it's uh, yeah, it's like uh, if, even if someone tells you, hey, uh, smoke, you don't you don't. Oh, wow. Let's work that out. Let's see. There must be smoke somewhere. Oh, wherever there's smoke, there's fire. Oh, there must be fire there. No. <laughs> you, you, you get the hell out. Or, you know, you get some water, you know, immediately. Uh, and so, but there are then philosophic inferences, proofs of the existence of God, proofs of atoms. Uh, Proofs or inferences uh, about uh, the self, which is disputed in Indian philosophy, right? Buddhists deny that there is any self. 
we have uh, these inferences. And th- basically the pattern will be there'll be an inference put out with an inferential subject and a prover property that's supposed to be modifying the infer or qualifying the inferential subject, an entailment relation between the prover property and the property to be proved, sometimes called the provanda. And, and and then the conclusion drawn. But then a lot of discussion will go around filling this out. For 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 example, in uh in one of the inferences that Gangesha takes up for Ishvara, that there is uh, a a uh, a creator of uh or a ranger of not of not of stuff, but of atoms, right? Stuff is uh, the atoms themselves are are um, uh, eternal and uncreated. Uh, but it, but it's reasoned that, or it's inferred that there has to be a overseer that brings the otherwise disconnected atoms into connection. Now, what? And so there's an infer very trim inference that uh, puts forth the case uh, for a, a Lord, uh, a creative Ishvara, or world arranger Ishvara. But then, but then there'll be some reasoning that fills out the nature of Ishvara, so, such as Ishvara has to be omniscient. Otherwise, Ishvara couldn't do the work that Ishvara is inferred uh, that 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 causes us to infer Ishvara in the first place. So so uh, we it's it's possible to fill out the conclusion uh, from uh, it's not just that there is a Lord. What's the Lord like? Um, and and so, so there's this supplemental reasoning that goes around the inference that fills in details. So so let's talk about what Gangesha is doing. That's innovative or uh, extending earlier Nyaya philosophy. Because what um, what you've just described in many ways is uh, kind of standard Nyaya ideas that there's a, let's take the smoke and the fire case because that's maybe easier than the Ishvara one for a moment. Well, um, uh, you know, you know, what does he do with the smoke and fire relationship that's, that's interesting? Well, I, I, I'm, I must say that uh, that the question of where in what ways Gangesha is an innovator is a really tough question uh, because it requires a, a command of the whole tradition uh, that is beyond myself and I think scholarship. <laughs> uh, after all, uh, just the, the core Nyalia Sutra commentators, which is Gautama, the Nyaya Sutra, and Vatsyayana, the first uh, commentator, the Abasha and Jyotakara, who's who's elaborating the the commentary of Udayana, and then Vachaspati, who writes a lot of notes on Udayana, and then Udayana comes along. This so there's the that runs about in Sanskrit, maybe what three thousand pages. Yeah, right. And there's then there are you know there are these other figures who are not in the Nyaya Sutra commentarial tradition. If, if you want, if you, you, my own sense, look, there, there's, there's lots of sort of brilliant, succinct definitions, for example, of knowledge that Gangesha gives, of 
of pervasion or entailment that he gives. It's not so much, I, I, I mean, as a whole, he has packaged the, the epistemology in a, in a, in a, in a, even though it, my translation, I think, runs 1,900 pages, he, he's packaged it in a very succinct way. Where also you see, and this is not really appreciated in Yaya, you see the coherence relationships. You see, you see how it all hangs together as a, and I, I think Gengesha is underappreciated, uh, and Yaya as a whole for, uh, for its uh, sense of coherence of a, of a whole epistemological system, indeed a whole worldview, because you know the epistemology is all wrapped up in ontology, and and you know uh, the ontological questions I think are are more difficult to resolve and uh, a little more brittle than the, the epistemology seems uh, totally worthy of study by the most uh, adept epistemologists of our own day. The ontology it doesn't have such strength. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, a very sis- a simple system of, of atoms and uh, other uh, basic types of real, and a lot of concern about universals and so on. Uh, I mean, this is tied into the epistemology, for example, in the section on a, on 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 testimony, on the chapter on testimony. Um, there's concern. Well, you know, um, how does a, a sentence uh, give us new knowledge, and what's the basic relationship between the 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 sentence and the fact? that it would convey to a hearer. Uh, you know, if a speaker knows the truth and to con- convey it faithfully. Well, it's not just a referential relationship. There's 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 indirect indication, lakshana. And then this notion of lakshana, of, of not following the normal convention of relations between words and objects, but, you know, innovating and meaning something in what we might say in English is a metaphoric way. Well, that tool of philosophy of language is then used in the ontological concept by context by some of Gengesha's opponents uh, of the school known as Mimamsa to argue for universals that we're always uh, we're always indirectly indicating or there's this there's this sort of metaphorical relationship to the universal when we refer to particulars, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's just one example of how the ontology gets all bound up with, with the epistemology. And sometimes sometimes I think uh, even Gengesha, who's very clear-sighted, does uh, get uh, too absorbed in, in minor um, uh, ontological uh, concerns, and 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 you and you lo- and it's very easy to lose the big picture because because they they are very intricate issues. I mean, you know, maybe universals. You know, just think of the history of, of the topic of universals in Western philosophy. I mean, nowadays after Wittgenstein and a whole bunch of uh, others uh, criticizing him, maybe there are not very many. Uh, realist about universals, but boy, there sure were in the history of philosophy from Plato to Aristotle and so on. 
and and similarly in in Nyaya and other schools of classical Indian philosophy. Well, let me let me try asking the question about pervasion one more time in a different way, and not emphasizing so much the innovation, but uh, what it is that Gungesha is doing with what you're calling an entailment or vyapti. Um, one of the things we were just talking about is the idea that with repeated observations, we can secure knowledge of, for instance, the relationship between smoke and fire, so that from the observation that there's smoke in some place, we can infer there's fire in that same place. But there's there's a worry, right, that's familiar to analytic philosophers that what if there's a counterexample out there? Uh, if we haven't checked for every possible counterexample, um, what potential number of observations can secure that relationship, well, well, right? They, so what does Gungesha say about this? This is something well, he talks yeah, about. He's really, yeah, uh, thank you. That was, that's like, uh, you know, batting practice, giving us a <laughs> low pitch. Uh, uh, because uh, he, 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 he has something very interesting and, to my mind, correct to say uh, on, on this point. Uh, he says, look, uh, the skeptic is absolutely right. Um, we're, we're talking about inference as a generator of knowledge about the world. Again, we need, need to know that, uh, that the use of the word inference in, in the corresponding word in Sanskrit, anumana, has much narrower semantic range than inference in in English, in particular, we're not talking about verbal entailments. We're talking about factual relations where we know that uh, there is some uh, universal, um, uh, some general proposition, uh, wherever smoke, there is fire. And Here's how we answer the question about, hey, nobody's seen all instances of smoke and no one has seen all instances of fire in their relations. Well, we could be wrong, but we need inference to get along in life. Notice that the skeptic assumes what we call anumana, this, this, these factual, these natural inferences in discussing with us because he or she assumes that that when he or she speaks, we're understanding the words that are being said so that they assume that there is this factual relation between speaking and a hearer understanding. <laughs> uh, Gungesha used the, uses the, uh, he uses that example and he also says, hey, well, look, watch the skeptic. Let's look at, look at the behavior. Oh, that skeptic who wants to get rid of mosquitoes, lights, lights a fire to get some smoke, um, and to get rid of the mosquitoes. So, so our, our, we're, we use, we realize that we can be wrong, but that doesn't mean that we don't have knowledge. Now, it may be that it's some, you know, we don't know that we know. In fact, why is very specific that normally we don't know that we know. Knowing that you know is so, is, is so, so, you know, KP does not entail KKP in, in analytic jargon. Uh, that 
we have to make some special effort. We have to certify. And the processes of certification, the certification conditions are different depending upon not only the knowledge source, perception, inference, or testimony, but also what's known. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, so we might know that we know. We might take the trouble, pramanya nepti. There's a, the long, longest and most, well, one of the longest and one of the most complicated sections comes right at the beginning. It's entitled this. How do we know that we know? It comes at the beginning of the perception chapter. Uh, and uh, there's some, you know, internalists, the Mimamsakas and the Vedantins are internalists on the Sanskrit. So, you know, they think that, no, you don't need certification, that knowledge, uh, they sort of misunderstand the presumptive goodness of awareness, Anubhava, as self-certified knowledge. But Gangesha, he... he uh, whereas he, you know, he fights the skeptic on with with these pragmatic arguments that hey, we need it, we could be wrong. We're not claiming you know, that we know that we know that we know all the way up. We are. We're saying you give us you give us the evidence, we'll give up what what we claim. Uh, but on the uh, when it comes to arguing with these uh, self certificationalists. Um, Mamamsakas and Vedantas, he uses doubt. He says, uh, "Look, uh, you, you're walking along. You see, uh, you see a river in the distance, and you, and it is a river. It's a river, but you're in unfamiliar territory. You, you don't, you don't, you can doubt whether it's a river, even though your perception, and as you walk up closer, you see, you, you know, you end up drinking the water from the river. Ah, and and you make the inference. Hey, if my perception had not been knowledge, I wouldn't be <laughs> drinking this water right now. There's a kind of modus tonalens, certificational inference in that case. So, so, uh, and uh, sometimes it's. It, it's misunderstood. Actually, certification works by source identification. If you identify something by perception or as having its good origins, so in Sanskrit, everybody's concerned with pedigree. So you got good origins, the pramana origins. But how do you know you have pramana origins? Ah, well, uh, you identify the source. Well, how do you identify a source? Well, usually, see, these sources are natural processes that are hooking up facts with knowers. And, you know, since they're natural processes, there's always something that's hidden. You never get the whole thing. Just like, you know, uh, I'm looking at uh, Malcolm Keating. I, I don't see, uh, I'm facing him. I don't see the back of his head. But I still say I see Malcolm Keating. I don't see the whole of Malcolm Keating. You don't. You don't get. You when you identify a knowledge source and certify your 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 knowledge, um, it's usually by what are called uh, guna and dosha. Guna are excellences, so they're marks. Uh, there there are marks of the operation of knowledge sources. Uh, so they. And, and and that's really a matter of inference. We see that, ah, perception in these circumstances get, has these indicators, these signs. That, so we see them, we can, we can certify that this is a veritable perceptual process that's giving us the truth about some fact. So 
would one one way of distinguishing between, for instance, Mimamsa and Vedanta and uh, Gangesha and Nyaya philosophers here in epistemology, would this work? Tell me, <clears throat> tell me if you think this is apt, that um, for Mimamsa, you either know something or you don't know it. You have a, an experience that arises and it, it either turns out to be knowledge or it doesn't. You can have an obstacle to it and, and doubt it, but then you regain that same level of knowledge. But for Nyaya, there's, in a sense, there's unreflective or animal knowledge. And then there's a way in which we can strengthen that knowledge or we can have a, a different, there's a sense of uh, almost degrees. I'm not sure if we would want to put it that way. Would that be right? Yes. Yes. Yes, very good. You know, um, and one of the one of the fallacies that I find most interesting that are taken up as the defeaters of what we presume to know, but it, it can be defeated, is called sat pratipaksha, and it's uh, I, I translate this as counter inference. I think most people, other translators, do do as well. Um, and he, here's an example. Okay, you. You say by perception, see that there's this individual A that has the property F. And you have had wide experience reinforced by testimony. Everything in your experience, every F has turned out to be a G. And you've done a lot of research and you've heard a lot about this. Every F uh, is is a G. And so you infer, and even you're very self-conscious about this, and you present it in a debate. And you say, hey, uh, A is a G. Why? Because A is an F and every F is a G. Well, then someone comes along and says, hey. And so so we would say, and look, it, and, and, and A, let's, in, in this thought experiment, A really is a G. So, okay, you got knowledge, right? It's true that A is a G and you have inferred it in a in the right way. <laughs> you know that A is an F and you know that every F is a G. So somebody comes along and says, um, hey, um, uh, A is also an H. And you say, oh, yeah, that seems true. And look at this. Every H in our experience correlates with a not G. So I've got this counter inference that A is not a G. It's not a G is a not G on the basis of A's being an H, which you see A is an H. And there's this evidence that every H is not a G. Well, Gengesha's position on this is you knew, <laughs> you had knowledge before you encountered the counter-inference. But after encountering the counter-inference, even though the counter-inference is a bad inference. It doesn't have a true conclusion. A, in the in the terms of the thought experiment, we're assuming that A is really a G. You lose your right to assert mm. <laughs> that A is a G uh, until you can show what's wrong with the, with the other inference. So, so there's a social dimension to knowledge. I mean, you may lose it. You lose it. You lose it when somebody comes up and challenges you in a very good way like that. So would that be then a distinction between losing and gaining knowledge and assertability, or do you think that he's bringing these two things together? Yeah, he's bringing them together. I mean, assertability goes with with uh, you know uh, having knowledge and and also having. Pre I mean, you might even be wrong, of course. I mean, assertability is wider than knowledge in that uh, you know uh, you. you 
you you have a false uh, belief, uh, but uh, you know uh, from your own perspective it looks good. So you have the right to assert it by NIA standards, but you know you don't have knowledge because you know it, it's not true. Mm-hmm. Let's since you mentioned debates, let's talk a little bit then about the inferences that Gungesha makes in the jewel that are about metaphysics. Some of these that you mentioned, uh, for instance, the existence of God or the self. Here we see, and you've talked about this in your um, Stanford Encyclopedia Philosophy entry um, a, a bit. Here we see not just his application of inference, but also some of his um, some hints into how he understands ethical living and so on. So I'm particularly interested in, in, in one uh, inference, which is the inference for the self, which Nyaya is well known for these inferences, that there is an immaterial persisting self, which is the subject of desires and memories and things like this. But here, Gungesha does something interesting. He uses a kind of inference known as uh, negative or absence-only inference, which is itself contentious. Can you say just a little bit about this discussion here? It's, I think okay. it's kind of interesting. Uh, first of all, um, the uh, inferences that he spends the most time with, uh, philosophic inferences where he's asserting the conclusion and defending it immediately, the one on the self, the one on the Ishvara, uh, and one on the possibility of liberation of mukti, of some uh, uh, ultimate summum bonum mystical experience. The, the, uh, these three, personally, this may be a somewhat uh, a view that indicates a somewhat jaded perspective about writing philosophic texts, but I think that he's picked these inferences because he wants to illustrate his philosophical system, his system of, and particularly the feeders, because he illustrates, um, you know, they're not only the, these, uh, the most famous uh, fallacies, there are five of them, but also the various forms of Tarka, such as infinite regress or, and, 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 um, heaviness and lightness or presupposing what's at issue and begging the question. Um, so it's, he, he's able, particularly with the Ishvara inference, you know, you, by the, it's so long, uh, you know, it's, gosh, I think it must take me 200 pages to, to translate that section. Um, that, at the end, you're not really sure that he <laughs> that he is actually a theist. He's put up such good objections, but he has illustrated his system of reasoning, not just inference, but tarka, all the different forms of tarka and fallacies, and so encountering fallacies, defeater, defeaters, defeaters, and then defeater, defeaters, and then you know restores and so on. He's illustrating it all. Okay, I think the same thing holds for the inference about the self. And he's not really original here, uh, but the idea is we start with a certain ontological system that has uh, 11 substances. And uh, they're the atomic substances, but they're also non-atomic substances, uh, uh, such such as... uh, 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 ether, 
which is supposed to be the medium of 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 sound, uh, and uh, manas uh, and uh, buddhi. Um, manas is a kind of sensory mind, and buddhi is uh, uh, cognition or mentality, uh, and, and, and and so. What he does, he says, uh, look, we find that there are certain phenomena uh, that we're aware of, such as desires, such as knowledge itself, uh, cognition, um, and um, uh, effort, action. And by various traits of these phenomena, we group them in what we call qualities, uh, properties. Properties maybe in English is broader than the term guna in, in Sanskrit. Uh, but guna is understood through a long tradition, like I said, goes all the way back to the Vaisheshika, sort of sister school uh, to Nyaya that's focused on ontology. All guna qualifies substances. There can't be free-floating guna. Now, there's some arguments about that that, that Gangesha doesn't go into, but they're in the Vaisheshika Sutra, and I think one of them is in the Nyaya Sutra uh, 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 as, as well, uh, having to do uh, with uh, certain maintenance, uh, you know, black before ba- uh, baking and red after baking uh, of a of a pot um there's uh, a, an endurance of a property bearer where the properties uh change um uh, and several other arguments that converge on the distinction between subject and property uh with the conclusion that all properties have to have substances that bear there are no free-floating properties. Now, you might challenge that, but he starts with that. I mean, he, that, that's a given, he, that a property has to have a property bearer. So uh, properties such as desire, cognition, effort, and so on, you go down the list. Earthen things, watery things, fiery things, combinations of those, uh, ether, and so on. None of those are candidates we look at other earthen things they don't have cognition they don't have desire uh, so we go through the list and it's a process of elimination none of these properties fit uh, as qualifying uh, the various substances on the traditional list so um, so it has to be some other substances not on the list we call that Atman uh, which it's the bearer of psychological properties. There is an Atman. There is a self. So there's a self because of our inability to observe uh, the right kind of potential bearer for these qualities anywhere else. That's right. Um, So epistemologically, though, isn't there something kind of potentially funny going on here with this kind of negative or absence-only inference? Isn't isn't there some kind of... um, background contention about this because when we look for smoke and fire we we inductively uh, support 
our inference from the presence of smoke to the presence of fire by looking to see smoke and fire together. Uh, how, how are we helping ourselves to this this thing called Atman based on non-observation? Um, based on well, so in other words, this, the question about uh, absence-only inference here, uh, it's, it's sort of epistemic status uh, is, is contentious. So I was just curious how Gungesha explains yeah, how that works. Well, uh, there, there's a, he, to tell the truth, again, this is the reason why I don't think um, he, his heart is totally into this inference, uh, also like the theistic inference, in that um, it's, it's sort of the standard view in Nyaya is voiced best by uh, the Nyaya Sutra commentator called Udyotakara. Uh, writing uh, the second level of commentary after Vatsyayanan. And Udyotakara comes out very clearly and says, hey, uh, we know we know the Atman or self by perception. And, you know, you uh, I, I, I see a pot. What does I mean? It means the self. Or better, in the apperception, I see that I see a pot. Now, we don't have to see all of the self, but we are seeing, we're seeing one of the we're seeing the you know the self with one of his properties again. I don't see the whole of Malcolm uh, Keating when I'm I'm facing him. Uh, you know I don't see a whole of the shirt. Uh, I, I not every thread. Um, surely not the backsides. Uh, so we don't see everything about a self when we perceive. <laughs> then when we apperceive uh, that the self is qualified by the process of seeing or inferring or thinking or any of the other psychological properties. So I think that that's really the strong background argument. Now, now, don't just come along and say, look, that's wrong. There's, you don't perceive a self, and they have some uh, argument, some inferences uh, that everything is momentary, like clouds, like, and they have various evidence, and they say, ah, these things are disputed. You can't give us any undisputed examples of endurance over time. And so Gangesha says, okay, uh, since, you know, it's it's like a Satpratipaksha, okay, in inside Nyaya, we don't really need an inference for the self. We don't need an inference for the self. It's not a controversial. We do we we construct inferences on controversial tra- topics, things that are known by perception. We don't need an inference. Why waste your time? Uh, but the Buddhists, these crazy Buddhists, you know, they think they think they don't perceive a self. <laughs> so we need some. We know, we don't want to beg the question against them, so that we have this inference. Now, yeah, it's a it 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 it's a it's a negative. Yeah, we we don't. We don't find pots having desire, right? There's a kind of absence there, right? It's an, there's an absence of desire. Well, again, I mean, there's nothing so strange about uh, ab- about absences. They're, they're just a, they have a particular kind of logic, uh, in the broad sense of logic. Uh, you know they have to be have an absentee. They have there has to be what's you know what's absent, which we have to be familiar with. And there's also got to be a locus. You know, like uh, um, we know that there aren't any horns on rabbits. Uh, 
and and we and 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 the absentee, the counterpositive, uh, the horn has to be something that's perceptible to know that there are no uh, horns on rabbits' heads. The idea is, if there were one, we would perceive it. And now, um, you know, so some absential cognitions don't aren't aren't like that, uh, but. Um, I, you know, and you might want to say, ah, how do you know that the pot doesn't have desire? Well, again, it's going to be behavior. <laughs> we don't see, we don't see the pot getting up and, and, you know, making effort and so on and so forth. We just, you know, it, it, we would perceive certain indicators of these properties were these things to have them and we don't find it. We don't find it, but these things have to have a property bearer. So what? So that property bearer we call, you know, the the property bearer of psychological properties is does it the psyche, the mm-hmm. self, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Right, guys. Right, and this is where the other. Uh, it's not a pramana or knowledge source, but it's a tool, tarka or hypothetical or counterfactual reasoning that would come in and kind of fill in the gaps. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Tarka comes in to show that the opponent's thesis, the materialist thesis, the Buddhist thesis faces unwanted consequences, either infinite regress or contradiction and so on. Right. So, so throughout these three volumes, the the four four books in the original Sanskrit, the four four pramanas uh, here, what we what we're really getting, it seems like, is just uh, a, a whirlwind through a bunch of um, debates. But these are with with Buddhists, with Mimamsa, with Vedanta. But these are embedded within Gangesha's sort of overarching aim of showing this this broad system coherent together, epistemology, yeah, ontology, what, and so on. It's what's, what, what's fantastic about Indian yeah. philosophy is there, there, there are these different camps, these different schools and different literatures, uh, and they're, you know, internal considerations, but uh, external uh, controversies. Uh, and so these uh, shape... The philosophic texts of Nyaya, uh, the early texts of Nyaya took Buddhist in the main as uh, opponent to be refuted. Gangesha, he's very much aware of Buddhist positions, but um, he uh, is fighting mainly with the ritualists, the Mimamsakas, uh, who uh, have a very complex uh, system and literature and factions within the uh, broad uh, mimamsaka umbrella or under it, uh, and uh, and 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 I think Gagesha he probably taught mimamsa. He seems to know mimamsa so well. Uh, though when it comes to ethics, you mentioned ethics and there's something explicit where he, you know, lays out an ethical philosophy in the way Immanuel Kant or John Stuart Mill does. Um, but Mimamsa is an ethical system. Mimamsa, uh, has a certain, uh, uh, injunctions, uh, for the right way to live, uh, Dharma, uh, that, uh, is, uh, uh, 
articulated by the highest of the caste and also the defense of the caste system and so on. Uh, and and this ethical system is opposed in the Bhagavad Gita and in the Upanishads and, and other places in Buddhism and Jainism with uh, a um, much more egalitarian and uh, a, a system of respect for consciousness, uh, ahimsa, non-injury, her, you know, not harming anything that has uh, any kind of um, consciousness. And Gengesha shows in a number of places uh, that he sides uh, with the I, uh, I want to call it a, it's really a kind of soteriological ethics because you're thought that, that by practicing non-injury and so on, not only are you, it's a good, you know, good for other people, good for animals, <laughs> you're not hurting them, uh, but it's also good for yourself. You're, mm-hmm. you're, 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 you're making progress towards the summum bonum, uh, which is a certain kind of, uh, thought of as a certain kind of enlightenment within Buddhism and the Bhagavad Gita. And in Gangesha, uh, seems to be within the Shaivite religious tradition opposed to Mimamsa, though I, I'm, I'm digging this out of some of the examples mm-hmm. uh, uh, that, uh, that he uses uh, mm-hmm. quotations. He doesn't really lay it out as a systematic view. Mm-hmm. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for taking us through what's just uh, a wealth of philosophy in Sanskrit here. Um, I suppose with the title title of the book, that makes sense. (laughs) Sorry? There's so much more to talk about. I wanted to talk about Lakshanine. That was my last question. Let's let's yeah, let's do that for real quick here. What's um, what would you want to say about Gangesha and Lakshana or indication? Well, just that he has a knockdown argument why um, uh, reference cannot be the only semantic relation. Uh, also, he has much discussion of the the two that there has to be this other semantic relation where um, when you say the moon, what you really mean is the beloved's face is like the moon, or. Um, uh, you say usher in the sticks. You're not really talking. <laughs> you're talking about the ascetics that are carrying walking sticks, or the villages in the Ganga, Gangayam, Gosha. Uh, uh, that it. it so so the, the referentialists want to say, look, by convention, by noticing the convention that ties word and object, we know that sometimes the word Ganga, by convention, means the bank of the river. So we don't need Lakshana, we just need reference. It's just that, you know, there, Aksha can mean uh, I or dice. And we just have to know, there's a lot of double, you know, homonyms. You just have to know the conventions. But Gangesha says, oh, look at the thousands of usages we would have to know to understand what people mean when they use the word Ganga, if it's all a matter of reference. However, with this flexible semantic relation of Lakshana, indirect indication, we use context and other cues to figure out what the speaker's intention is when he or she says something that on the surface meaning doesn't make sense, right? 
so so he, he's very good on that. He's very good on 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 the utility of Lakshana, but he gets kind of bogged down when he looks at all the. Um, he inherits a lot of, I mean, a, a kind of radical referentialism uh, from his Nyaya predecessors, uh, where every word, every word and, and semantic element has meaning independently of its context in a sentence. Abhihitanvaya. Um, uh, as opposed to the provocator holistic view that you put together the meaning in your head and then the sentence as a whole picks out a fact. I I actually think he just hadn't made up his mind which system is. He he feels feels like because it is the standard Nyaya view, all that goes all the way back to Vatsyayana, no, not Vatsyayana, but uh, to Udyodhikara, barring from Kumarala, the Mimamsaka, that he has to stay true to that position. But I think he really favors the holistic view of Vakaras. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, there's there's quite a lot in, in Gangesha that we could we could dig into if if we had uh, several several hours because uh, he he does he goes into language and, and quite a number of things, but. Uh, much of what you've um, written is available on the Stanford Encyclopedia of, of Philosophy, uh, at least yeah, some yeah, the introduction. Gangesha, just G-A-N-G-E-S-A. Yeah, and and then we'll, of course, put a, put a link up to the book. Let me ask you one last question, though. Now that this uh, monumental uh, effort is complete and the book is out, what are you working on now? What are you working on these days? I, I hesitate to say because there's this... Uh, misconception uh, of Indian philosophy being all about, you know, uh, hocus pocus religious topics, you know, yoga, enlightenment, and so on. Uh, but <laughs> that's what I'm working on, Shankara, and uh, and and, uh, and some topics in in Vedanta. And, and I, by the way, Shankara, you know, he's a famous Vedantin, but gosh, does he know Nyaya? He's, he starts with uh, scripture, the Upanishads, being uh, giving us uh, this uh, animal knowledge, and he even compares scripture to the way that uh, cows know things, and that what we are doing in the Brahma Sutra is certifying by using tarka and reasoning to firm up. Uh, the conclusions about the self and enlightenment and so on uh, that are uh, given to us in the Upanishads. So, so Nyaya has very broad range. Uh, everybody knows uh, all the other schools, Buddhist, uh, Vedantin, uh, and other areas of literature, Alankata Shastra, the, 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 the literary critics, uh, the, uh, the medical literature, the, of course, the jurisprudence, they learn Nyaya. It's a, it's a core topic taught in the tolls, the schools of classical Indian civilization. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll look forward to seeing uh, what you come up with with uh, Shankar and, and Vedanta in the future. And again, I thank you for your time on the podcast. We'll have a link up to your book and folks can take a look at it in their own time. 